This is The Cable. How much retail ownership is in stock? Tech story is front and centre. What will this wind up doing to the cost curve? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. A significant sell-off in European assets. It feels like a lot of these stocks have already priced that in. This is a stock that is increasingly being shorted. The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele. Behavioural challenges from the pandemic could linger for years on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening, welcome. 5 p.m. in the City of London. You're listening to The Cable. We're live on DAB Digital Radio. I'm Guy Johnson this evening alongside Marcus Ashworth. Quick market check before we dig in uh, to what has been uh, an interesting session. Uh, the Nasdaq is currently down by 2.5%. The S&P stateside uh, trading at 36.52. We're down by 1.8%. The FTSE 100 finished down by 1.8% as well. The bond market, the real focus of attention. The UK 10-year gilt up by 13 basis points today uh, to 414 uh, we've heard from Hugh Pill, the chief economist over the Bank of England, from the Bank of England over the last few minutes, talking about the fact that there does need to be a significant response from the Bank of England to the fiscal package, uh, and that will be delivered in size. Uh, this is not the Bank of England delivering a let-off for the government. The pound today has actually risen. We're trading 110, which is interesting as well, 110.49, uh, though uh, it's going to be interesting to see whether that can be sustained. But certainly uh, a higher yield story today, I think, really dominating the agenda. Um, I'm gonna before we get to Marcus, uh, and I know he's champing at the bit to talk about what has been happening in the UK over the last few days, after taking a few well-earned days off. But his timing is excellent. Um, the, the Prime Minister did a series of media rounds today, largely on local radio, which I have huge respect for. Um, didn't go particularly well, and to be honest, I'm not sure what we really learned uh, in terms of his her approach going forward from here. Uh, it does seem as if she is uh, sticking to policy and, and wants to talk more about what is happening with energy than economics. This is what she had to say. What we've done is we've taken decisive action. First of all, to make sure that nobody is paying more than a typical fuel bill of £2,500. That will come in this Saturday. But also to reduce our tax burden, to make sure we grow the economy and also curb inflation. And that's so important. It's a difficult time. You know, we're facing a global economic crisis brought about by Putin's war in Ukraine. And what was right is that Britain took decisive action to help people get through what is going to be a difficult winter. Blame the Russians seems to be the strategy at the moment. Um, despite the fact that we've had a catastrophic uh, mini budget that has delivered significantly higher yields, it's going to mean significantly higher mortgage costs, which may, for those that have mortgages, more than compensate for the energy benefit they're going to feel and also for the lower taxes. So Marcus has had a few days off. He's been watching events, I'm sure, from afar. I haven't had the opportunity yet to pick his brains and get a sense of what he makes of it all. We now have that opportunity. Marcus, it has been a tough few days for the UK. It has. What have you done to my country since I, I left it just for a few few small days just uh, in your care and uh, look what's happened. But, you know, if you if you come back uh, without knowing what's going on and just optically look at things, it's, um, you know, I wouldn't say the crisis is over, but certainly the worst of it seems to have been averted by a very decisive and rather skillful action from the Bank of England. Um but you know this is this is a, a serious uh, event, uh, which has obviously happened, and and we must learn a lot from this. And it's clearly not going away. And if you just uh, read between the lines from some of the statements from the Bank of England members, particularly the chief economist just now, um, you know there are obviously some very shell shocked people in, in in positions of power in both Threadneedle Street and indeed the Treasury. Um, 
a very poor uh, presentation and uh, application of, of a sharp change in policy without uh, connecting the dots or doing the other side of the equation when you when you interject a large fiscal expansion without any form of um, balancing and or um, really uh, with such high inflation and indeed such a tight labor market. There are lots of uh, hopefully lessons to be learned from this. But clearly, uh, with Liz Truss, you just heard over there, they're, they're not really wanting to talk about the stuff they don't want to talk about. And uh, in some senses, they are obviously going to try and brazen this out, it seems. Do you think they can? I, what we are looking at here is a is a situation where we we are going to have to see a significant response from the Bank of England. That is going to mean higher mortgage costs for a lot of people. Now, a lot of people in this country don't have a mortgage, but those that do uh, are going to be feeling the pain very quickly. You look at what's happening with the swaps market, two, three, fives. Like people are going to be remortgaging onto significant higher, significantly higher rates. Do you think the Do you think the government can? can dodge that we've basically gone from from sort of an energy crisis to a mortgage crisis and it's going to really hurt um it is uh and in weird ways well i think actually the fact that the initial problem will be felt probably even more acute in the rental market because those people who are trying to get mortgages to buy will be left with no other options either carry on renting and or uh, search for somewhere to rent which is is now impossible in certain parts of the country so yeah, this is a, a very confusing situation. It does seem the government wants to have tighter monetary policy at the same time as much looser fiscal policy, but they try to change the shape of the boat uh, yeah. <laughs> all in one big go. Uh, I don't know if been what, saying. What was the mistake? What was the mistake? Do you, I, was it the fact well, that, that they didn't allow the OBR to score it? Was it the fact that they announced a, a um, an abolishment of the, of the top rate of tax? Was it that there weren't cuts that, that accompanied this statement was it that they they didn't seem to appreciate and sounded tone deaf to the challenges that are being faced elsewhere they're, they're refocusing on the energy story because i think they're trying to they're, they're trying to kind of correct that where do the mistakes lie well all of those but i mean very simply um what you have was a a, a bunch of uh, of uh, some of it surprised some of it theoretically flagged uh details uh, last friday um which were done, you know, why would you include, obviously, the bonus cap, I think, was a leak, which they obviously presented, uh, but that was unfortunate for the week before. But then the stamp duty cut, which is why would you need to disseminate the housing market here? Uh, it makes no sense. It's a lot of a grab bag of wish lists presented with, um, you know, stimulus demand and sort of almost like trying to rush a whole bunch of things through right at the beginning. Uh, and, but the, the Sunday presentation from, from uh, Kwasi Kwarteng, the Chancellor, basically made it very clear this was just a, a start of a 10 in the old university challenge and yeah. this was an amuse-bouche we're going to get a lot more and i think what the guilt market took particular uh umbrage with was that yes there's going to be an extra 62 billion worth of guilt this fiscal year that's not a problem um per se though it's i think a lot more than maybe the traders had, had expected clearly i think economists had moved that way but i don't think the market had fully priced that in but if you've got a whole bunch of tax cuts coming through into next year clearly there's going to be an even bigger rise. And that's, I think, is why when people started sort of extrapolating um, further out that there was going to be an awful lot more stuff coming probably in the November budget and indeed on from there. So uh, that's just changed the ball game. And then we know what's happened, particularly in the long end. Uh, the guilt market had quite liked the fact that they'd shifted the remit to be much more towards the shorter medium end um, of, of the guilt curve because what has happened in recent years is that the yeah. pension fund insurance sector have 
got their house in order and they don't want any money any more guilt's really at the long end and that's why i think we saw a particular um well, i can go into that you want to a lot more pain than clearly was envisaged by anyone really is this is this a competent government though uh i don't i think, I think i've just heard the answer to that question in that sigh no i think you i think you know it's, it's a difficult question to answer without being quite rude and i think we have to be fairly blunt about this that is not a level of competency which is uh, is to be expected or warranted and i i significantly uh pray wish hope that uh lessons have been learned from this because um you know really this type of presentation the way it was done is just not how things work and there has to be a rolling of the pitch to make sure people understand what's happening why it's happening they could have got away with not doing an obr presentation if they had said there were going to be one by x and y and z are they gonna do this or i think everyone that has read into that they want to get rid of the obr now i've written about this before they're going to extend the three-year window to maybe a five-year window to make you know so-called budget balance but i think the everyone understands that really the the thing that was introduced by George Osborne, really to give more Treasury control, they want to reverse it because they want to take away control from the Treasury. You can't do all these things all at once without any clear uh, presentation of why so, you're doing it yeah. and not in this economy. You talk about lessons being learned. Are there things that need to be corrected? Uh, we, we were talking to Jamie Je Rush about this yesterday. His view is that you need to, to make some changes now that the, the, the Bank of England has and it's trying to make it very clear that it's not buying time for the government here. But I think it, in reality, it probably has. But it's very oh, short duration. Has, yeah, it, 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 that 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 is not going to last long. It, given that the, the changes now need to be made. I, so far, the market is is not impressed by the idea we're going to get the OBR scoring this. The market is not impressed uh, enough uh, that we are going to see some kind of further announcements on the supply side does the market ultimately in order to stabilize the situation in a more medium term on a more medium term basis need a reversal of some of these policies i the ni cut no. the, the ni change that that is expensive the corporation tax um change that is expensive and the top rate of tax is is to be honest kind of a couple of billion that that in the big scheme of things is not a lot of money but some of those other changes are and you do wonder whether or not actually that the timing is going to be such that that this is this is a government that can stick to those policies. Well, I don't see them doing it uh, unless things get materially worse. Um, and I think we can clearly see from what that trust uh, short radio yeah. presentation chapters, they are going to try and uh, and, uh, and brazen this one out. You know, the Tory MPs got rid of Boris Johnson. This is what they've got instead: a much less communicative, a much less journalistic friendly or able or even willing to countenance being asked questions they don't want to answer i think that there'll be a lot more stonewalling from this this new government they do you don't think the tory mps will tolerate this i do you think I, if, if you get pet the power you know of parity i think I think, I, I think we're through 110 now but mortgage rates like swap rates we're, we're gonna you're gonna be seeing six seven i've even heard eight no, percent mortgages I, being offered I don't think we are. I, I think this is the whole point. I think the Bank of England is going to have to wake up the fact, as is the ECB, as is the Fed, that uh, the, the, they're pushing it too far, too fast in this consensus that the economy can handle. So I, I think the economic uh, desires this government has are probably in the right, right ballpark. I understand why they're trying to do it. You don't have to agree with it. I mean, it, it, you can see why yeah. they're trying to do it. 
Yeah, the, the manner in which they've done it is unacceptable. And the but, but Marcus, we're, we're already at six percent mortgages. We're, 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 well, it's not. It's not. It's not going to happen. We're there. That that is the reality of the situation. Um, mortgages have been withdrawn. People are, are taking that up. I think you'll find things will settle down. I think you'll find things won't be quite as bad as as they optically look at at the moment. And, and I think the point is is that yes, there will be some um, deals which look you know horrifically expensive, but they're they're there to sort of scare people off in the context that that people post rates. Um, banks to, you know, to facilitate the, the the pipeline of stuff and to get their own uh, ducks in a row. And I think you'll find that when and if things calm down, that, that there will be substantially better mortgage deals coming through. Right. But at the moment, the mortgage market is frozen and it's completely gone in shock. So everyone's you know just lifting stuff up and, and posting rates, which are not necessarily uh, to be read too much I, into. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just pricing it off the swaps market, which, which like two-year, three-year, five-year swaps have, have absolutely rocketed over the last few days and that that's why the the, the pension providers are, the, the mortgage providers are struggling in the way that they are the market's currently yeah so i don't the, think very many things have been done that's what i'm saying is that yeah. i don't think you'll find that, that there's a very few vanishingly few prints we made at that level the market currently has the bank going to six percent is that yeah real is that going to happen I, I i think the only way that, that gets six percent is the economy really has the ability to handle it and i don't think it has that ability and this is where the market pricing and most economists completely differ. I mean, I think you find most people have, have moved up close to or, or, or you know, three and a half, four percent for peak, peak in the UK rates. Uh, we're only at two and a quarter now. I, I do not see it nearly tripling. I think that that would literally push us into. The but that, but that puts us in a really difficult position with with sterling in as much as today's data out of the US like an incredibly strong labor market, judging by the claims numbers, uh, a core PCE number that is elevated, only points us in the direction of, of a very aggressive Fed. And indeed, you look at that German inflation number, I mean, close to 11%. Yep. I mean, you know, look, this is this is the thing. The eye of Sauron came on the UK market from a, you know, a, a, an own goal, uh, self-harm of, of quite extraordinary uh, levels. However, the our fundamental reason why we're here is because of the strength of the dollar, because of the... Uh, the U.S. Uh, interest rates going up, and indeed, you know, U.S. Treasury yields were climbing all the way through this, which is what making is making the the pain spilling over into into the gold market much worse. But these problems are not exclusive to the U.K. You know, there are some individual reasons why, the, why this yeah. this was uh, UK's uh, time in the spotlight. But you know, at the same point, you can quite clearly see with German inflation at eleven percent. We have a real issue with what the ECB yeah. do to it because which they're going to which... cr crash the German economy. Which does make you wonder why a a treasury allowed this. I, the, the treasury must have been aware. These are febrile markets. These these are these are very difficult scenarios in which to launch such a, an ambitious policy, as you say, uh, as as we saw unveiled in the mini budget. You do wonder kind of where the advice has been coming from during this process. Marcus, you bring up the issue of German inflation. Um, we're going to talk about it next. It's fantastic. Yana Randau is in London. She's sitting next to me. Uh, we're going to be talking about all of this next. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. Welcome back. You're listening to The Cable. We're live on DAB Digital Radio. Let's move from the UK's woes to the woes that we're seeing within the Eurozone. German inflation a little earlier today 
reached double digits. Now, that's the first time that we've seen double-digit German inflation uh, since the euro was introduced more than 20 years ago. Now, remember, the ECB has a single needle in its compass. I am quoting, of course, Jean-Claude Trichet. Uh, It has a single mandate, and that is inflation, and inflation is elevated. But there is a significant debate on the governing council. Philip Lane is in the United States. He's just been speaking uh, to one of our competitors. He, of course, is the chief economist, trying to downplay uh, this idea that we're going to see a 75 basis point hike at the next meeting. Uh, Jan Aranda has just sent me the quote from that uh, that, uh, interview. It's still four weeks away, he says. It's a month. There's a lot of data to see between now and then. So I think the debate about what exactly is the next move is something that we can decide on the day. Jan Arando, who covers Jan Arando, who covers the ECB uh, for us in London, which is fantastic. It's great to see her here. Jana, how how close are we to the governing council giving the green light to a 75 basis point hike, given the data on inflation that we are seeing. Is Lane fighting a losing battle here? I think we're incredibly close. Uh, We've heard from a lot of uh, ECB uh, officials today. Uh, The uh, governors of the uh, Baltic central banks have been on the record today saying they want to see another 75 basis point increase. And that's, of course, because inflation rates up there are north of 20 percent. So so you know, double the pain that the German economy is facing. And that is, of course, significant. Um, Philip Lane here is saying um, it's it's too early to pre-commit. A lot can happen in four weeks. And yes, he's right. But um, if we take the ECB at face value, if we believe them saying we are data dependent and the data only point in one direction. Diana, I mean, the euro got down to, well, I think it sort of had a 95 big figure on it at one point. It's, it's obviously rallied a bit as the dollar's weakened. But um, how concerned will the government council be, but one, about uh, the value of the euro, and two, about um, quantitative tightening uh, in the sense of, of, of letting uh, passive uh, holdings um in the APP sort of run off at some point. Is that uh, now next year's business uh, put firmly on the back burner? It's a good question. So on the euro, uh, I think they are incredibly concerned. Uh, if you ask on the record, they will, of course, say the uh, the uh, exchange rate is not a policy target. We do take it into account when we uh, look at how growth and inflation will develop. Um, but if you, if you look now... Um, it it is uh, a significant upward risk for inflation, a downward risk for growth. Um, so so they they cannot just simply ignore it. And um, and what we're seeing, uh, it it really uh, has raised the level of alarm at the ECB, as far as I know. Um, as for quantitative tightening, um, they are actually going to talk about the balance sheet uh, in, in very broad strokes um, at a meeting they have next week in Cyprus. And uh, it's going to be very interesting to look at what's coming out of that. Um, it's an unofficial, well, not an unofficial, it's a, it's a non-policy meeting. Um, so there's no agenda, there are no decisions being taken. But this is the first proper discussion they are going to have about um, how to remunerate reserves, what to do with the balance sheet, um, how they want to tackle it. Um, my understanding is there is no immediate urgency to launch something, to announce something right around now or or at the October meeting. 
a lot of people and, and, and also some of the more hawkish members have said it's something we need to talk about by the end of the year. So there is clearly time. Um, and, and an interesting cue uh, came from the president from Christine Lagarde on Monday when she told lawmakers in Brussels that the ECB wants to get to neutral interest rate f- rates first before uh, considering QT. Neutral interest rates, of course, is the big it's the big secret. Uh, uh, nobody knows where they are. <laughs> yeah. um, um, you know, my best guess is somewhere around 2% listening to all the all those policymakers talking um, and if you take that timeline we might get there by December um, so so uh, coming back to your question yes I think QT is something um, that that they will uh, happily save until until the next year we have a new government in Italy um, spreads have been widening out BTP bunt spreads Germany Italy 245 basis points you're talking about QT you're talking about neutral being circa 2% that's a lot way higher a long way higher than where we are now where would Italy be at that point and can Italy take this kind of tightening excellent question um i think they they can take it for a while and and um higher higher yields um in in the 10 year uh, uh segment of the curve and and uh, beyond that um it it is something that's going to hurt the italian government um but not very immediately so it's a problem that um that that appears and gets gets um stronger as time yeah, goes exactly. by as they refinance that and um I mean, if 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 it's one thing, it's a reminder uh, to the new government to be absolutely prudent uh, in how they manage their fiscal their fiscal policy and how um, how generous they want to be with with tax cuts potentially with with aid measures and surely um, lessons Italy learned from should- the UK. I was going to say, and surely uh, they want to look at at what's happening in the UK, where the risks are, and 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 what's potentially at stake. So, Jana, I mean, I know we've got much time here, but I mean, do you think that uh, sorry, German inflation at, should we call it 11% between friends, is going to change their approach to, uh, with the economy perhaps even going into quite a serious recession next year? What yeah. Something's got to give. Inflation or is it growth? Again, uh, we got to take the ECB at at face value. We got to take them at their word. Um, they have one mandate: it's price stability, and um, that's uh, that's what they what they should uh, their, base their decisions on. Now, of course, if we get a serious recession um, that is going to reduce prices, that will bring down inflation, then uh, the response is going to be a different one than than just a shallow dip uh, yep. with no no price impact. Jana, it's great to see you in London. Thank you very much indeed for joining us here on The Cable. We greatly appreciate your time as ever. Uh, Bluebooks Jana Randall. We're going to stay with Germany next. A big energy package being announced today uh, in Berlin. We'll talk about that. Uh, we'll also talk about the latest news coming from Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2. Uh, another leak being detected. All of that next. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. Welcome. Welcome back, I should say. 5.30 in the city of London. I'm Guy Johnson alongside uh, Marcus Ashworth, Bloomberg Opinion. Quick market check. Then we need to talk about what's happening with the energy crisis. So the pound is up today, 1.6%, trading at uh, 110.61. A little bit of an acceleration. I I will caution, it is the end of the quarter coming tomorrow. So just bear that in mind. You do see a little bit of what they call in the industry window dressing, uh, changing of portfolio positions. Uh, and, and the last couple of days, sometimes 
that can uh, make things look a little bit odd. Uh, but the pound is up today. The euro is also up today by around six tenths of one percent. So a bit of dollar weakness uh, coming through into the market. This despite the fact that we've had very strong economic data out of the US today in the form of the claims, uh, the unemployment claims numbers, which were again lower than anticipated, uh, a stronger than inflation, uh, anticipated inflation number in the core PCE. These are numbers that the Fed pays a lot of attention to. And the expectation is that the Fed will continue to raise rates aggressively. The S&P is down by over 2% right now. The FTSE finished down by 1.8% today. Uh, the Euro stock's down by 1.7% today. Nat gas has fallen fairly sharply today here in the UK, down by 20%. But the volatility we're seeing in that market uh, is all over the place, to say the least. Um, Let's talk about the energy crisis uh, in a little bit more detail. So Germany out today announcing that it's going to borrow an additional 200 billion euros to tackle the the price surge we're seeing in gas. Uh, Mr. Lindner, the the finance minister, talks about an energy war that we're in right now. Germany is effectively repurposing uh, a a COVID program to use to now deal with what is happening on the energy front. Uh, But it is a, a story that is familiar to certainly UK listeners, we have a very high energy price uh, that is going to basically have a severe impact on economic performance uh, over the next few months and certainly through the winter. Bloomberg's Todd Gillespie joins us now uh, to give us a take on what is happening here. What have the Germans announced today and does it differ from what we've seen here in the UK? Yeah, hi guy. Uh, yeah, it does. It does differ in that it's this is going to be a sort of cap just on gas for now, and then they're they're working through more um, what they what they'll be doing with electricity. Um, they're setting aside this funding, and then they're still going kind to of working out some of the specifics. Um, I mean, materially, you know, the big issue for Germany right now, where is you know is maybe slightly different to the UK, is that Germany is really relying on making sure that storage levels are really high of gas. So. The, their gas demand is really, really important going into winter. And one of the things that a lot of analysts are slightly scared about now is that if you cap the price of gas in Germany, you're essentially going to be removing that, you know, that cost disincentive to use gas. Um, so you could end up exacerbating the actual problem that's sort of caused all of this. You, in the you first need the market, the price mechanism to to to, to, to yeah. create demand destruction, effectively. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And and I think that's what a lot of people had been pricing in, and now they're starting to worry that actually Germany could be, you know, you know, making it, you know, making a bad bed for itself by uh, sort of going into winter planning to essentially, you know, essentially start encouraging more gas use than than it had planned for. Todd, it's making a bad bed for itself or a bad bed, pardon me, for the rest of Europe in the sense it keeps on urging for uh, everyone to cut cut their usage. And yet it seems that they're not wishing to take that sort of uh, pain themselves. I mean, it seems a lot of contrary signals going on. You know, I know France has come under some stress, perhaps not approving, I believe it's called the Mid-Cat pipeline, which would both be gas or hydrogen, I think, coming up from Iberia into Germany and, and presume elsewhere. But there's a lot of sort of, lack of cohesion perhaps in the european space it seems to me of of, of what exactly uh, each country is doing and they may not uh, they're not pulling together perhaps as coherently as, a, as yeah. they might be is that fair to say yeah i think that is fair to say and i think one of the things that really kind of sums this up in a way is this back and forth that we've been having between france and germany over the past few days about germany seeking guarantees from france that there's going to be enough nuclear power available uh, to ex- for France to export it to Germany when it really needs it, and now you're in a situation where Germany might be in a you know might be in a position where some could say it's it's potentially exacerbating its own potential power shortages by you know potentially using too much gas, and then it will need to it's 
it's increasing the likelihood that it's putting itself in that situation where it will need to call on France, who you know are obviously in a really bad position themselves we you know actually today there's um data out from the uk government showing that the uk has become a net electricity exporter for the first time in 12 years mainly due to the fact that france needs so much electricity and has been buying so much power from the uk um in the second quarter of this year which is really sort of turning the tables here um and now you're having france which is importing so much being asked to export more this winter at the height of this crisis potentially to germany um which now today has said that yeah it's going to be uh it's going to be putting a cap on gas prices and essentially making it cheaper for everyone to use more of its precious gas talking of gas sorry marcus continue well i just want to ask a couple of quick questions because the storage is up to 90 odd percent in germany but the point is it's not so much the that is how long does that storage last for in the sense is it only a couple of months the other question i want to quickly ask was Yes, France has taken a lot to the UK, but surely the UK is going to want it back again. <laughs> um, but we yeah. can't. The reason why we can't store our own gas either, in the context that we're sending, you know, isn't great. We're sending a bunch of stuff to, to France, but the, the turn, you know, we we're going to need it back again um, when it gets cold. Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, uh, I mean, on on that point, there's. Um you know that i spoke to someone today who's basically like you know both the electricity system operator in the uk and the one in france both expect in their winter plans to be able to import electricity from the other um and obviously if you end up with a particularly cold situation where you know the weather will probably be similar because of proximity the uk and france across the uk and france and both countries are expecting that at the same time someone's just going to have to shut off the interconnectors and that's when you need um electricity system operators to force people to switch off and that means maybe rolling blackouts in some cases and maybe shutting down industry um and it may mean even diplomatic tensions because of the way that this is planned and, and thought out <laughs> diplomatic tensions yeah. oh, in jersey as they say yeah <laughs> uh, yeah well the uh I, I grew up in guernsey so my my affinity for for jersey is very oh. limited but uh that clearly explains a lot does doesn't it um well it's school there uh there have been what now appears to have been premeditated attacks on on the the Nord Stream pipelines are people you do talk to worried that you could see that replicated with other energy infrastructure in Europe? Yeah, I mean, of course, there's a concern. I think the the UK wind lobby has said today that they're they're stepping up, um, you know, vigilance uh, on UK infrastructure assets. Um, similar things are happening across Germany and Austria with storage. Um, you know, obviously, there's you know, there's, there's you know, these are natural natural responses to something that you might see like this um, going into winter. Um, you know, when when the importance of these this critical infrastructure is going to be needed more than ever. But I think what it really shows for me more interestingly is that it, you know, obviously we don't know exactly who did this, but it sort of symbolizes in a way this this sort of potential potentially permanent cutoff of Russia yep. from the UK, from 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 Europe. And a lot of people were thinking still there were background thoughts, you know, could diplomatic relations be restored in the long term could we get to a point where you know regime change in russia potentially europe is kind of sort of coming you know back will we'll turn itself back towards russia for gas um and in a way it's, it's just a very i mean apart from being a climate disaster in a way i mean this is you know this equivalent of multiple coal plants running for a year in terms of the amount of gas that this is leaking into the atmosphere but it's also symbolic in that it, it kind of does just cut off gas yep. you know it literally physically cuts off gas not just in terms of it's not just russia squeezing Concrete. flows but they right, just yep. can't blow it yep 
Todd, always a pleasure. Thank you very much indeed, as ever, for covering this for us. Hugely important as we head into winter. Bloomberg's Todd Gillespie. Uh, we need to talk about the Porsche IPO as well today. Uh, we'll do that in just a few minutes' time. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. Welcome back. You're listening to The Cable live on DAB. Um, yesterday, I got to talk to Larry Summers, the former Treasury Secretary uh, in the United States, warning about the fact that financial stability risk is growing. We've seen it in the UK. He was warning that it could it could start to spark elsewhere and the central banks are ultimately going to have to respond. He's been talking to us again today, talking about the fact that the global market risks are building. He sees similarities between what we're seeing now and in August 2007, which obviously didn't end particularly well. Clearly, the rate of change uh, in rates is a huge contributing factor to this. Central banks are raising rates aggressively at the moment, uh, and the market is is pricing them up. We're seeing jumbo rate hike after jumbo rate hike after jumbo rate hike. Marcus, is something about to break in, in, in kind of in a significant way? We've seen kind of maybe the UK market being a, a an early warning signal here. But but you look at what's happening in the US swaps market, you look at what is happening elsewhere, there's, there's huge volatility. Yeah, it's interesting you point out the US swap market. I just read the, presuming the same uh, article you did uh, by Ed Bonnenbrook, you know, which is like basically swap spreads, or you said the bid offer spreads are, are starting to uh, get uh, rather worryingly wide. At the same time, clearly we have, uh, you know, the move index, which is the, essentially the volatility of of the most important market in the world, U.S. Treasuries, is at a level basically seen at the height of the pandemic and getting close to global financial crisis levels. Uh, this is not good. I mean, the whole point is, is that, you know, ironically, what's going to happen in the in the gilt market, and we've seen this while the 30 years doing better today, is that, is that all the money that was put out, or gilt to put out, out, out to repo for collateral in general, the plumbing, which moves around the system, everything, you know, fund managers will lend out their holdings so other people can short them and borrow them, et cetera. Um, if that dries up, you then have a, a really a bad disconnect. And I think that's what's what's been happening for quite some while in US Treasuries. And clearly, um, it's been exacerbated in other markets. You know, sterling obviously has its own problems. And uh, we clearly know that the German government and the Austrian government, and a couple other, uh, have moved to make it very difficult to borrow uh, high quality collateral. That gums up the system. And what, what really sort of brought everything down in 2008-9 was the plumbing. Uh, and I think that's what I'm, I'm worrying about. I don't know is the true answer, uh, but clearly functioning of markets yeah. um, is a great is this, worry. Is, I mean, this, is this higher rates or is this liquidity? Well, it's both. One, one begets the other, and that's the problem. It's hard to separate the two. Well, no, um, but, but but the, 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 the Fed change is the, in rates. The, the Fed, okay, so you've got you've got a, you've got a Delta story in in rates. I the, the rate of change there is, is significant, but also the Fed is actively withdrawing liquidity from the system. Yeah, and I, I, I really think the Bank of England has, has given a bit of a marker by delaying just by one month its quantitative t- uh, tightening. I mean, it was already doing the passive amount, which is sort of less important than as far as liquidity is concerned. But when you are actively selling back into the market, um, having been yeah. the biggest buyer to turning seller at the same time as the government's upping its 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 sales, at yeah. the same time as solvency too might be might be changed, which means insurers need a less, uh, lot less long gilts. And sometimes the pension market clearly has got its act together as far as its 
overall liability asset balance is concerned, and therefore they probably don't need as many long gilts. Yeah. Who buys long gilts? This is where you get uh, liquidity crashes. And I think um, at the same time in the US Treasury market, you've got, as you said, 95 billion coming uh, back into the market from the Fed. It's not good. If the market can't take, if the economy in the market can't take the, the tightening of the quality conditions and the raise, the rise in rates, does that imply that ultimately central banks are going to have to stop and tolerate higher inflation? And if they are going to have to tolerate higher inflation, what does that mean for asset values? Uh, well, it's not good. Um, and yes, I think that's the ultimate situation. We're going to have to get away from this ridiculous 2% inflation target, trying to line the economy on, on a head of a pin. It's but that's the discount rate that everything ultimately operates on. That's what. That's how you value everything. And but if the world's and if, changed. If, yeah, precisely. Right. But that means... It's no longer there. But if asset, but that's bad. That's terrible news for stocks. Uh, not necessarily, but it's not. It's, it's certainly not great news for stocks in the sense you're not going to carry on getting uh, stock market gains in quite the same way, yeah. uh, for sure. And, and clearly, if you're valuing things like tech things on a zero uh, discount rate. Yeah, then yeah exactly. Uh, I get you on that. But the, the market does tend to work itself out. And at the same time, equities are probably the only real option here. Okay. Uh, it's certainly not bonds. We'll talk about equities next. The Porsche IPO. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. It was a tough day for equities today, but Porsche, the German car company, being IPO'd today by its parent Volkswagen, powered through. Equities were generally down. Porsche finished just a little bit higher. The ticker that it has been given on the Frankfurt Stock Exchange is P911. Earlier today, Tom McKenzie, my good friend and colleague, went to Frankfurt and he met there with the Porsche CFO. Let's take a listen to their conversation. I would say it was a very promising start. And yeah, we are really pleased to have success successfully placed um, Porsche AG on Stock Exchange Frankfurt. Despite the very challenging times, um, yeah, we have successfully mastered one of the biggest, largest IPOs in Europe ever and yeah therefore we are very proud and yeah and I would like to say uh, thank you to our entire team yeah. whose work has ensured that we can stand here okay. today and and I, I cast my mind's eye back to 2018 four years ago yeah and you flagged you came out and said maybe we should IPO Porsche with a market cap of around 80 billion euros there was a bit of pushback internally externally when you came out with that do you feel vindicated yeah absolutely it was um, a tough fight over four years now but we succeeded now we can stand here we are very happy yeah and we see further potential for the future with our strong brand how are you going to cooperate between the parent company volkswagen and Porsche. You have a little bit more independence now, but we know historically there's been tension between the brands and the portfolio. How are you going to cooperate and make sure there are synergies that work for you at Porsche? Yeah, we have negotiated an industrial cooperation contract with VW and it has clearly regulated that Porsche has 100% autonomy in future. The Porsche board will decide in future completely independent from VW and yeah that's a great situation for us we want to unlock 
Porsche's full potential, of course, but we have also the possibility in future to work together with the VW Group brands where beneficial for Porsche. That's, that's the case uh, when it comes to sharing technologies like the Taycan, uh, used also for the Audi um, e-tron GT, pooling emissions, bundling purchasing volumes, also using production capacities uh, like the Cayenne in Bratislava. How much of the 9.4 billion euros that's been raised as a result of this IPO is going to go towards Porsche and your electrification plans? And what is the time frame for electrifying the SUVs, the Macan and the Cayenne, that proved so popular? Yeah, it's important to say that we have a very strong net cash flow. Therefore, there's no further uh, financial resource necessary when it comes to Porsche. VW will use the additional resources uh, to accelerate their transformation and to make investments in future when it comes to better results and software architecture. Okay, and what about the timeframes for electrifying well, SUVs? Yeah, the Imacan uh, will be launched in uh, 2024, followed then by the E718. Will you electrify the 911? You never know. You never know. <laughs> but, okay. but, but of course, um, yeah, it's the core, it's the heart, it's the soul of our company, the 911. And therefore, we want to drive the 911 as long as possible with a combustion engine, of course. Okay. But you never know what will happen regarding the legislation, and therefore, you have to be very flexible. It sounds, and like, we are flexible. It sounds like you'd be reluctant to see a fully electric 911. Absolutely, we, we can live very uh, well with okay. the 911 uh, with combustion okay. engine. It's very successful. A lot of focus in terms of the macroeconomics on, on currency volatility, and, and you're consequential in building out hedging uh, within within VW FX hedging. So talk to us about the how you're how you're managing to mitigate the FX effects. To what extent it's a headwind? To what extent it's a tailwind for a business? Yeah, like yours. Since we don't have natural hedge in place, since we have the production plans. In Europe and the major part of our sales are in non-euro currencies. Yeah, we are more or less obliged to have a flexible uh, hedging strategy in place. We work a lot with option derivatives and uh, the uh, hedging period is uh, three to five years and therefore we are quite confident that we can say see also tailwind in future from FX for the upcoming years. Um, yeah, we benefited from about 200 basis points FX effect uh, in 2022, and we expect to have a similar situation in the upcoming years. Okay, and you've set yourselves a revenue target that some would argue is pretty ambitious given the recessionary concerns, 39 billion euros of revenue for this year. Can you meet that target? Are you seeing a drop off in demand? Absolutely. We were always very strong when it comes to crisis situation and also in the first half of 2022 we had a lot of overlapping crises. Uh, Ukraine war as a semiconductor shortage, via harnesses shortage and uh, we were able to further increase our net profitability margin and also our net cash flow. That means Porsche is a very resilient company and therefore we are quite confident uh, to meet our forecast figures. CFO of Porsche talking to Tom McKenzie a little bit earlier on. Marcus, can I picture you in a Porsche? Can I picture you in a 911? You can. You most certainly can. In fact, I, uh, I didn't drive. I was in uh, a Taycan for the first time uh, just, just yesterday or before. Um, 
wasn't a massive fact. It's too big. It's too, it's, 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 it was in very quite tight roads. It was, it was something that didn't give me the overall driving experiences you might get from an I-11. But uh, clearly, the searching question was, will, when will they electrify the 911? Because that's the, they will eat themselves, but they will eat the competition at the same time. Someone's going to do it, a proper electric sports car, and it will do extremely well at the cost of burying everything else. But someone will do it, and it's a question of the first mover advantage. So it, Porsche is clearly the optimal company to do it. It's whether or not the courage to do it. Do you think, do you think, I, do you think people are going to continue to buy them? I, it's, we're, we're about to go through a fairly significant downturn. Do you think there is going to be a demand issue? Yeah, because this is a much more practical car. It's a very much more practical car. You can drive it every day. You can take yeah. the shops. It's 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 uh, um, it starts every time. It's, it's mach machine uh, mechanically made, not not handmade. Uh, and I think there are limits to what um, okay. a lot of other cars can keep on offering. Marcus, great stuff. This was the cable. This is Bloomberg.